reason that we need to be led in his love to those around us is that the Bible says that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said in his word that there were a lot of things that we didn't have to worry about. He said, don't be afraid of this and don't be afraid of that. But there's one thing that Jesus said that we ought to be afraid of. Actually, two things, but really one. And the outcome of not fearing, fearing that one thing or that one person. I invite you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. And that's where we'll begin today as we begin to talk about the truth about hell, as we talk about the last things, the study of last things, we certainly need to talk about the abode of a person after judgment, and that is either heaven or hell. So this morning, we consider what the Bible has to say about hell. And we begin in this passage of Scripture. Jesus said, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one after he, who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. I tell you, yes, fear him. So this morning as we think about this, we look at that word on the screen there in, uh, in, uh, in, in that last verse, verse 5. And we want to understand exactly what it means and what picture did the people have as Jesus used that word. Now, this would not have been the word that Jesus used. This is our English word to talk about the place of punishment for people who don't believe in Jesus, for people who don't believe in God. And we'll talk about all the characteristics of that place in just a minute. But first, we want to talk about the word itself. And when Jesus used the word, the picture that immediately came to the mind of everyone who was listening to what he said. The Greek word that Jesus used would have been the word Gehenna. And this word referred to a physical location during the time of Jesus. Yes, it was a spiritual place of punishment. Yes, it's a place of punishment for unbelievers. But the physical description of that place, the pictures that came to mind when Jesus used that word, were vivid. In other words, if I use the expression ground zero, those of you who remember 9-11 will, re will immediately think of all the images that ref were reflected in ground zero, the smoke that was rising, the rubble, the disaster that took place there, the people jumping from windows. This ground zero is, uh, it, at one time at least, was an awful uh, uh, expression or picture in our minds. So when Jesus used the word Gehenna, he was referring to a place very well known to the people of that day. It was the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom, Hinnom means the lamentation, so it's the Valley of Lamentation. It was called that because under the reigns of two kings, Ahaz and Manasseh, child sacrifice was practiced in that valley. And what they would do, just to give you a very brief picture and a very bad picture of what they would do, there would be an idol there. They were worshiping a god named Molech, and they would heat an idol until it was red hot. 
they would take the child or the baby, they would place the baby in the, on the arms, the living child in the arms of the red-hot idol, and the result would be the screams of the mothers, the screams of the children. It was absolutely awful. That practice was abolished after the time, or long before the time of Jesus. But in the time of Jesus, the Valley of Hinnom was still the garbage dump of Jerusalem. It, it, it continually smelled of rottenness and death. Refuse of all kinds was placed there. Dead animals were there. Sometimes even the bodies of executed criminals were placed there uh, to be further desecrated by throwing them into this valley. And what was not finished off uh, by the fires that continually burned because it was a dump and uh, dumps in the olden days fires always burned there when I was growing up we had a dump in our town and and it was not far from my house and I could see the smoke of the dump rising it just was always going on or by what was not consumed by the fire was consumed by the worms or the wild dogs that swarmed through the refuse so when Jesus used the word hell Gehenna no description was necessary because all of these images came to the mind of those who were listening. When he used that word hell, he was painting a word picture of a place that included fire, it included torment, it included separation from God, and it included darkness. And we're going to see all those characteristics from the scripture of this place called hell. But before we go any further, as we talk about hell we want to do so understanding that God has no interest in anyone going there. God, it is, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The perfect will of God, if God had his way, no person would ever have to go to hell. Why? Because God, Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is the heart of God. The Bible says that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Nevertheless, if a person rejects God, if a person rejects God's love, if a person remains in their sin, and the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, then the inevitable end of that is a place called hell. Now the Bible teaches us four very graphic things about hell. First, that hell is a place of fire. Now, we say that's a New Testament teaching, but it's also an Old Testament teaching. Let me give you a passage from Isaiah chapter 66, verse 24, where God said, They will go forth and look on the corpses of those who have transgressed against me, for their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. That's an Old Testament passage of scripture. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13 verses 40 and 42, 40 through 42, he said, so just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be 
at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and throw them into a furnace of fire, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus also wants us to understand that the fire of hell, you say, well, you know, there might be some suffering there. It might last for a time, but the fire of hell will never go out. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. Now, last week we talked about him having all nations gathered before him and separating them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's going to say to some, uh, enter the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. But in Matthew chapter 25, verse 42, Jesus said, I will say to others, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And then Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 43, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. It's never going to end. It's never going to stop. And also, last week we saw where the Bible talked about the lake of fire that people will be cast into at the final judgment if their name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, what is all this about fire? Where does that fire come from? Well, we also looked at a passage of Scripture last week that revealed to us where that fire comes from. It's a fire that shows up on Judgment Day actually coming from the throne of God itself. From the book of Daniel, we read chapter 7, verse 9, the middle of verse 9 to verse 10. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened with the fire of judgment proceeding from the throne of God. Jesus said, I tell you, fear him, fear God, and fear hell. It's a place you don't want to go. You don't want your family to go there. You don't want your friends to go there. And ultimately, it's not a place that God wants you to go. A place never prepared for you, but a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Second, hell is a place of torment. The Bible plainly tells us this. It tells us in the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation, beginning to read in verse 9, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be, we're talking about hell as a place of torment. He will be tormented. Notice, he will be tormented. The word means tortured, tortured. Look where? Tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. In other words, in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. That, that's the, there's no end to the torment of hell. 
So also in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says the same thing, tormented day and night forever and forever. So it's not something that starts and then ends. It's not something that starts for a while and then you get out and you get away from it. There's no word in the Bible called purgatory. There's, that word does not exist in Scripture. There's no temporary place of punishment. The place of punishment is an eternal place of punishment. So what a word to use of God that he would torture a soul, that he would commit a soul to everlasting suffering. How cruel does that make God? Well, God's not cruel at all. God's the one who's trying to save you from that. That's why he sent Jesus. The Bible says, Paul said, Jesus saves us from the wrath to come. God anticipates this judgment. God, Paul said, when Paul preached, I spoke the verse earlier to you. Let me share it with you again. Paul preaching, he said, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. God knows this is coming. The passion of God's heart, the burden of God's heart is that you turn to Jesus, that you be saved, that you never go to this place. That's not God's heart for you. That's not what God wants. But if your heart is callous and you're cold and hard toward God and you reject God and you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, if you can see the Lord Jesus hanging on the cross for you, expressing His love for you and say, oh, I don't need that, then your end is going to be in this place of fire and in this place of torment. Now, so let's say you die and you open your eyes in hell and you suddenly realize that you've you've made a terrible mistake can you say god i'm sorry god i i'm sorry i came to this place god would you forgive me would you let me out can you can you send somebody to rescue me from this place maybe you think that perhaps you have a godly mother or a godly grandmother who can pray for you and get you out of this place i remind you briefly of the story in the New Testament of, we've looked at it a couple of times in our study of last things, of the rich man and Lazarus, both of them died. The rich man opened his eyes in torment and he began to pray. And as he began to pray, he could see Lazarus, the poor guy who had been laid at his gate, full of sores, never having any compassion, never having any blessing in this life. The rich man had all the blessings and then at the, after life was over, their roles were reversed. One man was in torment, the other person was in heaven seated with Abraham at a table. And so the rich man cries out to Abraham for a little help. He said, give me a little help, give me a little relief. I need some help here. And we can't even begin to imagine the passion with which he prayed. I don't know if you've ever been sick or in pain and you need some help and you're afraid. Imagine the passion with which this man prayed these words. I will not even try to express it in my own voice, but let you picture it. As he said in verse 24 of the 16th chapter of Luke, the Bible just simply says, he cried out. He cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue 
for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, I can't help you. I can't help you. Because there's a separation between us. There's a great gulf fixed between us. And nobody can cross from one place to the other. It just doesn't happen. So after you die, if you wake up and you're in hell, you can't pray your way out. Nobody else can pray you out. There is no escape from that place. And there was a lot of regret for that rich man. He was not only tormented by the fire, he was tormented by his own thoughts of things that he should have done. He said, look, at home, at home, at home, I've got five brothers who don't need to go to this place. Please send somebody to them. Send Lazarus because if somebody goes from the dead, they will believe if somebody can come back from this place and tell them the story or come back from heaven and tell them about this place that I'm in. And Abraham said, no. He said, look, they've got Moses and the prophets. Look at me. they got Moses and the prophets. That's this book. They've got the Old Testament. And now we've got the New Testament. We've got, the Mos- we've got Moses and the prophets. And we've got the Gospels and the Epistles and the book of Revelation. We've got so much to tell us and to warn us. You've heard sermons. You've had people witness to you. You've bumped into passages of Scripture, and you reject all that. You're going to remember that if you open your eyes and you're in a place of torment. So hell is fire. Hell is torment. Third, hell is separation from God. Separation, in other words, Abraham said there's no escape, fella. Nobody's going to get out. Nobody can get you out. Nobody can come. You're just separated. You're, you're, you're separated from me. You're separated from Lazarus, you're separated from God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23, he said, look, he said, there's going to be a day when people come and say to me, Lord, Lord, uh, can't we get into to heaven now? And he said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That separation from the Lord Jesus Christ, that separation from God. The Bible tells us that a day is coming in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through verse 9, that the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. That's hell. That's separation from God, eternally separated from God. If you choose to live your life separated from God on the earth, you will spend separated, be separated from Him in eternity. So hell is fire. Hell is torment. Hell is separation from God. And finally, hell is a place of darkness. Well, how do we know it's a place of darkness? 
Well, the Bible says God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. There's no darkness in God, and without God there is no light. There's no, no light. Well, you say, how can there be fire without light? Well, there's some mysteries in this universe that we don't understand, and here's one. The mystery of a black hole. A black hole is a star so dense, something has happened to it. I can't describe what's happened to it. I've just read about it. Perhaps you have too. A black hole is so dense that light can't escape from it. It's sucking things in at millions of miles an hour. And so the, the event horizon of a black hole all around it is millions of degrees. But it's absolutely dark. Now, if that can happen in the physical universe, don't tell me that it can't happen in a place of punishment where there is fire and brimstone and torment. Three times in the book of Matthew, Jesus describes hell not with the word Gehenna, but as outer darkness. Let me give you an illustration. Matthew chapter 22, verse 13. Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in second peter chapter 2 verse 4 you're going to see both of those combined hell and darkness it says god did not spare the angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. There we have a verse that has hell and darkness in the same sentence. This is further confirmed in the book of Jude in two places. First in verse 6 where it says about how God dealt with these angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And then in verse 13 we find that same darkness for those who abandon the truth of God. They're referred to as wild waves of the sea, casting up their shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. First, it should be understood that this is outer darkness. What does it mean when it says outer darkness? Well, it means outside the realm of God, outside of His kingdom. Those in hell are outside in the dark. They are separated from all good. Darkness is a symbol of evil. There's nothing good to be found in hell. The black darkness further emphasizes the fearfulness of hell. There is unknown there. There is horror there. There is loneliness there. Who will encounter the darkness of hell? Those who've lived in darkness and walked in darkness and loved the deeds of darkness rather than the light. Thus the person who lives his life walking in darkness will be condemned to spend all eternity in darkness separated from God in the fire and torment of hell. But that is not God's heart for you. It's not God's heart for anyone listening to this message. It's not God's heart for anyone in this world. The perfect will of God is this. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God is not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. That means everybody in this room. God wants everybody in this room to go to heaven and not to go to hell. The Bible says in the book of Ezekiel that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That doesn't thrill God's heart to see a person go to judgment or to punishment. It thrills God's heart. The Bible says there is rejoicing among the angels of heaven when one sinner repents. And so we end with the verse we started with. God is now commanding all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Let's pray.